Church, take your Bibles if you would. We're going to take just a couple of moments here this morning. We're going to study God's Word this morning from Philippians chapter 2. No, did I just say chapter 2? Golly. Chapter 4, how about that? We are about to wrap up our study through the book of Philippians. Next week, I believe we will uh, conclude this series. I'm going to ask you to go ahead and bring the house lights back up a little bit if you would, please, just to... Nobody can see their Bibles, and I can't tell if they're sleeping or I can't tell if those are snores or amens, but uh, maybe a little bit of both. But we're going to wrap up our series next Sunday. We'll move into a new series after that that I'm excited about. God's put in my heart for us that I believe is very timely, but I believe this series has been very timely for us, studying through the book of Philippians. This is called uh, The Happy Letter from Paul. Fourteen times Paul has... Uh, reiterated his joy for the uh, church in Philippi. He's reiterated um, how much he appreciates them and their growth in Christ. And uh, he talks about rejoicing and joy over and over again. And it's interesting because we've discovered early on that Paul was actually writing from prison. Is there, do we have a way we can get the lights? Okay. Um, Paul is, is uh, writing from house arrest, right? He's all the way in the city of Rome, uh, chained to a guard 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He finds joy in realizing that he's actually preaching the gospel to the bodyguards uh, of the, the, the government leaders in Rome. And so he finds joy in everything. And he says uh, that they are to rejoice and be glad in all things. And so this morning, thank you guys very much. Um, he says, rejoice and be glad in, in all things and rejoice again. And so Paul says that, uh, well, Paul just gives us clear instructions on how to walk in the joy of the Lord. And this morning, I think this is very timely for us because Paul is now going to deal with um, some, uh, some disunity, some uh, conflict within the church in the city of Philippi among the believers. Now, I don't think it's timely because there's conflict within our church. What I do know, though, is that with all of the changes and all of the stuff and forgetting the mask in the car and having to turn around and go back and then wearing the masks and just, and then all of the stuff on media and all of the stuff we're hearing and seeing and the good news and the right news and the fake news and everything else and, and, and just so much going on. And now we're, we're just barely uh, two months out from a, an election and there's going to be all kind. there's already all kind of Divisions being drawn in our nation, and, and it can happen within the church. We're not all going to agree. Let me tell you how stressful it's getting. I knew this message was right. When last night we're eating dinner, my wife says, you know what? And I have to be careful how I tell this, she told me. She did give me permission, but she told me to be careful. <laughs> so somebody, Craig, watch her and tell me what she's doing when I... But we're eating dinner, and she says, you know, I saw this bumper sticker, and she explains the bumper sticker, and she said... And it was weird. I've never felt this way. See, she's the most mild, meek person you have ever met in your life. She never says anything bad about anybody. And I'm like, seriously? Come on. You know they're a jerk. Oh, no, they're, you know. Anyway, so she reads this bumper story. She said, it was weird. She said, for the first time, I just felt something kind of, she was getting salty on the inside, wasn't she? 
Now, the good news is she took those thoughts captive and continued on her way. But I thought it was funny because I know who she is. And that means it's getting crazy around here. When Sister Pastor starts to get a little salty thinking going on there. And so I believe it's timely for us, not only us personally as a church, but for the church in general. There's going to be a lot of opportunity for disagreement, for conflict, for offense to be taken. And so Paul is addressing that to the church in Philippi. So the title of this morning's teaching is The Joy of Making Peace. And we're going to begin, uh, we're going to go through the first nine verses, but we'll, we'll start with the first three. So Philippians chapter 4, verse 1 says this, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, notice here again, my joy and crown, that's his affection for them, he says this, Stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. In other words, pay attention, he says, to what I'm about to say, because it's going to be determining how you stand in this moment of your time. He says, I plead with Judea and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Now think about something. Let's put the brakes on for a moment there and think about this real quickly. So these ladies are having some conflict apparently within the church. Now earlier in Philippians 2, Paul addressed the idea of unity. And we looked at that, the joy of unity, the joy of being together of one heart and mind as a church. But now he gets serious again because this disunity is disrupting the flow of the mission and the ministry of the church. It's getting in the way of the gospel. Paul's saying, you got to deal with this. Now, think about this. Paul writes these letters, Philippians, Ephesians, Corinthians, all this, and you realize they didn't have printing presses, so they weren't printing off copies for everybody to have. The ushers didn't hand them a copy of the scriptures that day when they walked in. They didn't have leather-bound, bonded leather, fake leather, paperback Bibles or anything. What they had were Paul's letters. Paul would write this letter to the Philippian church, and somebody would read this letter to the church. That was their Sunday school. That was their discipleship training. Here's what Paul, the apostle, says to us. So here you are. You are, uh, I don't even know if I pronounce their names right, but Judea and Syntyche. Then you walk into church and you sit down. And the guy starts reading. The rabbi or whoever, well, not the rabbi, but whoever's reading. And he reads these words. I plead with Judea. And with Syntyche, get it worked out. So you're just in church, you're Udia or you're Syntyche, and you're just sitting there. You've enjoyed the first three chapters. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, Paul, preach. Preach it. Truth. And then all of a sudden, the next phase, the next phrase he says is, now I plead with Udia and Syntyche. Say, what? They have just been called out. You know how serious Paul is about this situation of disunity in the church, the division? Enough so that he just goes, <laughs> just gets all up on it and calls them out. He says, tell these ladies to get along. 
Tell them to get this stuff worked out. So then he goes on in verse 3. He says, tell them to be of the same mind of the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion. So we don't know who this companion is Paul is addressing. Many believe, many scholars believe, though, that it's probably Luke. That based on circumstances and Luke's travels with Paul at various seasons of Paul's ministry, it is very likely Luke might have still been in Philippi because he was there a few different times. We know that from, from the history. And so it's believed that perhaps he's talking to Luke. But whoever he's talking to, he says, And I plead with you, my, uh, my true companion, and help these women. Now, these are good women. Okay, These are godly women. These are women who have helped Paul in his ministry tremendously. But Paul's concerned because this contention, this, this conflict and this strife that they are carrying toward each other is moving over into the church and it's hindering the gospel. It's hindering that church's mission for Jesus Christ. So he says, we've got to deal with this. He says, whoever this true companion is, you've got to help these ladies. He said, in fact, uh, they have contended with me. I need you and Clement and the rest of the co-workers whose names are in the book of life work together to get this resolved. This morning, I want us to, to take the next few verses, and Paul is going to lay out for us what it looks like to be a peacemaker. What type of attitude, what type of actions, what type of thinking should we have if we're going to be the peacemaker, if we're going to resolve our differences? And I say this morning, moving into uh, these next months and, and whatever else weirdness goes on around us. That church, we guard our hearts and we guard our minds and we take Paul's instruction to us this morning to heart. So we pick up now, well, let me give you your first principle. Your first principle of making peace is this, act like mature Christians. Now, I build that off of last week. Last week, Paul spoke to us about how to grow, how to become mature in Christ Jesus, how to, to basically grow up. As Christians. So now Paul says you're going to have to act like mature Christians. If you're going to resolve these conflicts and you're going to bring peace and you're going to let the mission and the vision of Christ and his purposes in the gospel continue to go forth, you're going to have to act like mature Christians. You're going to have to be mature. Don't be, don't be like a, a three-year-old who doesn't get their way. And can I be honest with you? Sometimes when we're in conflict with others and and you want to go talk to people about it on the inside, they're thinking, what are you, three? Now, they're not going to tell you that because they're not as bold as Paul who would call people out in church. But he said, look, you're going to have to grow up. You're going to have to act like mature Christians. Watch this. Picking up now in verse 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Watch this. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Let your gentleness be evident to all, for the Lord is near. So what is Paul telling us about acting like mature Christians? Let me give you three things right here under that. One, he says, be joyful. Be joyful. Don't be looking for a fight. Don't be looking for some reason to be offended. Don't be looking for some argument to win, some battle to to challenge somebody. Don't be that person going into any situation with that mindset. Be joyful. Rejoice, he says. And he says it again, rejoice. In other words, maybe he's saying to us, stop stewing over it and start giving God some praise. 
get your eyes off of yourself and off of that situation that you can't seem to agree on and get your eyes on God. And what if both of you in the conflict decided that you were going to rejoice in God and quit warring over the conflict? Well, problem solved right there. So Paul says, have a joyful spirit, a joyful attitude. Get your eyes on God whose plan is so much bigger than your, your opinion or your need or want. Second one he says is gentleness. Let your gentleness, he says, be evident to all. Gentleness is strength under control. Think of it this way. So I was watching a program one night this week, and uh, this young lady was a, a barrel racer. Everybody know what a barrel racer is? I'm going to find out who's from Texas and who ain't right here. So she's a, she's a barrel racer, and she's uh, getting a little up in age and got family, so she's selling her horse, Katie. And this young family comes along, and they've got a young daughter, early teen, who wants to learn how to be a barrel racer. So she's showing them this beautiful horse, Katie, who is a very well-trained and disciplined barrel racing horse. And she's talking about the horse and her mannerisms. And she makes a statement. She said, she is so gentle. And about that time, the camera is zoomed in on the face of that horse. Have you ever looked eye to eye with a horse? Well, Dolores has. I heard two more of your of Wynn's songs this week on the radio, by the way. Um, so you look in the face of that horse. The man, the, the big jowls and streak just even in the face. And then you look at the rest of the horse and she says, this horse is gentle. But I guarantee you that horse, like most horses, can pull anywhere from about five to 8,000 pounds. Go try it this afternoon when you get home. The horse is gentle, but she's got a lot of power. She can buck, she can snort, she can twist, she can turn, she can throw you, she can stomp on you, she can hurt you because she's strong but she's gentle. What she was telling the young lady's family was that, that it's not in her demeanor. It's not in her nature to misuse her power and strength. You've been born again by the Spirit of Christ Jesus. It's not your nature to be vengeful. It's not your nature. It wasn't in the nature of Jesus, and Jesus lives in you. It's not your nature to be retaliatory. If that's what's happening, you're moving in the wrong direction. You're moving by a wrong spirit. So Paul says, be joyful. Let your gentleness be uh, evident to all. And now let's pick up. We'll get the third one right here in verse 6 and 7. Paul says, so do not be anxious about anything. Well, let me go back for a moment. He just tossed in right there in the middle of all of that. He said, the return of the Lord is near. Did that catch anybody else kind of by surprise? Because it, it's like he just kind of tossed that in right there. Let your gentleness, let to be joyful, let your gentleness be evident to all, period. The, Lord is, the Lord's coming is near. You know what he's saying? Church, we don't have time. We do not have time to fight. We do not have time to tolerate or to entertain conflict. We don't have time for it. Jesus is coming. When Jesus comes and the trumpet sounds, do you want to be standing in the middle of somebody's face going all off on them? I don't either. 
So he says, the Lord's return is near. Now here's the third one. He says, but do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So the third point, the third truth then of acting like a mature Christian is to be prayerful. To be prayerful. Rather than pouting, pray. Rather than fighting, pray. Rather than stewing over your offense, pray. So he's basically saying, look, don't worry about winning the conflict. Don't stay up at night trying to figure out a game plan on how you're going to overcome this thing and, and outdo them. Don't worry about how you're going to gather more people around you and get the people on Facebook to like your side and not their side. Don't worry about how all of that's... Don't worry about those things. Don't be anxious about getting your own way. Don't be anxious about having to win this fight. Pray. 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 Pray that the situation can be resolved in a Christ-like way. Which means pray that you will be Christ-like in this. Pray that the other person will pray the same. Pray that uh, God's grace will be given to you and the other individual. Pray as well for peace. Peace within your own heart. Peace in the situation. Because Paul says this, look. If you'll pray and give thanks to God, give thanks for what? Give thanks for, for, for His truth. Give thanks that it's, it, it, it's Him you're looking to and not yourself or anyone else. What if you gave Him thanks for His gifts and anointing on the other individual that you're disagreeing with? Paul says, if you'll pray and give thanks, he says, in the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind. You'll be able to think clearly in the situation. Which leads us then to our second truth about being peacemakers. First one was act like mature Christians. The second one, Paul goes on, is to think like mature Christians. Think like mature Christians. Verse 8. Now he says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now you and I know well that when we're in conflict, in disagreement, when we're alone and it's quiet, most of our thoughts go to everything we see wrong with the other person, everything we see wrong with their point of view or their argument, everything we think is right about our argument and this and that and the other. And we think about how we are right and we need to get people around us to acknowledge we're right. And if they would just acknowledge I'm right, this whole thing could be resolved. And it's me, me, me. Paul says you're going to have to do something with your thinking process. You're going to have to change the way you're thinking. So I want us to, to consider what he says here. Let's think about our thoughts for just a moment. When you're in this position and in this place, 
Think these and ask this of your thoughts. Are my thoughts true? Are they true? Are they actually God's truth or are they my truth? Mm. How often do we take God's truth to make it say what we want it to say? At that point, it becomes our truth. Or am I really holding on God's truth? Have I made up my own truth and trying to convince God that it's the truth? Are my thoughts true? Are my thoughts noble? That means, am I without fault? Am I walking in integrity in this thing? Am I guilty in some way? Are my thoughts noble? Are my thoughts right? In other words, are my attitudes and my actions and my reactions appropriate as a mature Christian? Am I acting like a mature Christian in this situation? Are my thoughts pure? Meaning, am I free from anger, hatred, jealousy, and a spirit of offense? If I'm operating any of those, i got to stop because I'm about to create some more conflict because I'm, I'm not thinking right. Are my thoughts lovely? In other words, am I reflecting the meekness, the strength under control that Jesus has? Am I losing my temper? Am I getting aggressive? Am I, are my thoughts aggressive? Are my thoughts to hurt or harm or to somehow do damage? Are my thoughts admirable? In other words, would other mature, spirit-filled Christians agree with my attitude and the way I'm thinking? How about this one, WWJD? What would Jesus think about my attitude and my actions and the way I'm dealing with it? Are my thoughts excellent? Are they good for the kingdom of God? And then, lastly, are my thoughts praiseworthy? Do they acknowledge Christ? Do they bring glory to Christ? Am I thinking Christ first? Paul says you gotta, you got to think like mature Christians so that you can act like mature Christians. And then the third one is this. Respond like a mature Christian. Now that you got your thoughts under control, respond in a mature fashion. So he says in verse 9, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Whatever you've seen, whatever you've heard. He's saying, look, what I've taught you, what I've shown you, what you've heard other apostles, what you've heard other leaders, spirit-filled people say, put those things into practice. In other words, do what you know to do. And in essence, what he's saying is, here's what you know to do. Act like a mature Christian. Think like a mature Christian. And respond like a mature Christian. In other words, do the right thing. If it means humbling yourself, then you humble yourself and you repent and you initiate reconciliation. You know, it's interesting that, that Paul would be dealing with conflict and one of the greatest moments of conflict in the early church was between Paul and Barnabas. And it had to do all about the mission and ministry of Christ. Paul was ready to go back out on the mission field for the next mission's journey. And Barnabas was going to go with him again, but he wanted to take his cousin Mark. Well, his cousin Mark had been with them on the first journey and decided he wanted to go back home. And that irritated Paul. 
And so now that they're going back, Barnabas says, hey, I think we should redeem Mark and let him, let's give him another opportunity. God's not through with him yet. Paul says, no, that, he had his chance. We're moving. Man, Paul's driven. Paul's type A. I'm not faulting Paul at all. Barnabas, what's his name mean? Encourager. He sees value in Mark. Hey, I want to redeem Mark. So they separate. They go their separate ways. And as far as we know in history, they never saw each other again. But there are a couple of places in the New Testament where Paul acknowledges the value of his friend Barnabas. That he didn't just cast Barnabas out because Barnabas didn't think like he did. He expresses that Barnabas is being used by God and that the gospel is, is spreading even further. He sees how God redeemed all of that. So Paul says, look, do it in a mature fashion. Respond in a mature way. So, in closing it off this morning, God takes relationships in the family of God seriously. Seriously. First John, he says, hey, look, if you, uh, if you say you love me, but you hate your brother, you're a liar. Sounds like God calls people out too a little bit, doesn't it? He talks about, he, he, he is dead serious about relationships, church. Make peace a priority. I'll give you two takeaways, but let me give you this one statement from Jesus this morning out of Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. Everybody say peacemakers. For they will be called what? Children of God. Who are the children of God? They're the ones making peace. They're the ones that are looking to Resolve conflict, not spread it. Blessed are the peacemakers. The Lord wants us to be peacemakers. And I'll just say, I'm the, I don't consider myself a prophet. I just, I just know there's going to be opportunities in the next few months for conflict to arise, disagreements and offense to happen. Paul would say, be aware, guard your hearts, Act like mature Christians, think like mature Christians, and respond to each other like mature Christians. And all God's people said, amen. So your takeaways this morning, two of them, you fall, in the, you fall into one of these two somewhere. Make peace a priority right now. Make peace in relationships a priority. You've got a division in a relationship. You've got some contention. You've got something that's severing a relationship. The return of the Lord is near. Paul said it right in the middle of everything. You don't have time to waste energy on that. Make peace. Make it a priority. Do it now. Make the call. Make the visit. Write the letter. How? Like a mature Christian. Acting, thinking, and responding like Christ. But then the other one would be this. Make peace with God, your heavenly Father. If you haven't made peace with God, His return is near. And when He returns, He's looking for those who are His. 
Who are his? Those who are his children. Who are his children? Those who have made peace with him. And there's only one way to make peace with God. Our sin has separated us. Our sin has divided us. Our sin makes us contentious toward God. Our sin causes us to rebel against God, which means there's conflict. There's conflict between us and our Heavenly Father. We can resolve that conflict by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, who forgives us of our sin who breathes new life into us by His Spirit, and we are born again. And as we saw within the last studies here and in our study in Romans, we are made right with our Heavenly Father. The return of the Lord is near. Ain't nobody got time for stewing and brewing, right? It's time to be loving and saving. Saving. 